This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me shortly in the second segment of today's program is Mr. Brian London. Brian is the host of the largest and longest-running investment conference in the United States, the New Orleans Investment Conference. He is the publisher of Gold Newsletter as well. I'll be chatting with him about where he thinks things are headed as far as the markets and your investments are concerned in the second and third segments of today's program. If you've not yet requested my March free report titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust, I would encourage you to do that by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. We'll be glad to send you your complimentary copy. Just let us know where you'd like us to drop that report in the mail, and we'll be glad to do that. So we have a lot of talk about money creation. It goes by a lot of names, quantitative easing, bond purchases, adding liquidity. It all means the same thing. And of course, any rational person, and you don't need to be a trained economist to ask yourself this question, is going to wonder, won't this create inflation? Won't massive money creation to the tune of trillions of dollars a year lead to inflation? Well, I want you to consider a question with me during this segment. Does the Fed, does the Federal Reserve want to keep inflation under control? Seems like they would because doesn't inflation destroy retirements? I mean, inflation and low interest rates, I should say inflation and artificially low interest rates are a deadly combination if you want to retire. For example, if you go buy a 10-year U.S. Treasury, your yield will be 1.6 to 1.7%. If the real inflation rate is higher than that, and I would argue it's much higher than that, you're losing purchasing power, and you're losing purchasing power by a lot. This creates a real problem for the productive members of our society, the savers and the investors. And yet, we have more money creation coming. The $1.9 trillion stimulus package is now law. Much of that money has yet to be created. Interest rates are remaining artificially low. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? Well, the answer is fairly simple. It's easier to pay off debt with discounted dollars. So is the Fed trying to keep inflation low? I would argue in this segment that, of course, they're not. They're looking to create discounted dollars with which debt can be paid off. Now, let me give you an example to make the point. 
Let's say that you bought a home back in 1991, and let's say you financed it on a 30-year mortgage, and you're just about to make the last payment. You're going to break open the bottle of champagne and celebrate. You've made every payment every month for the past 360 months, and you're about to home own the home outright. Well, in 1991, the median price of a home was $96,000. Now, if you would have put 20% down to buy that $96,000 home, you'd have put down $19,200 and you would have financed $76,800. A 30-year mortgage at 5% interest meant that you would have to make payments of $412.28 a month to pay off that house in 30 years. Now, the median income in 1991 was $17,615. I've done the math. That's about $339 a week. So the median income, the median gross income was $339 a week. And a 30-year mortgage payment on a median home was $412 a month. That meant the mortgage payment was 122% of your gross pay. It would take one entire gross paycheck and 22% of the next one to be able to make your house payment when you first bought the home. But now you're making your last payment on the home. Your payment hasn't changed. It's the same $412 a month. But now, last year in 2020, the median income in the United States was $62,797. Again, I did the math. That's a little more than $1,200 a week. So when you took out the mortgage, when the mortgage was originated, it took 122% of your paycheck to make the mortgage payment, but now it takes 34% of your paycheck to make the mortgage payment. It's a lot easier to make the mortgage payment today because it's a much lower percentage of income. Now, it works the same exact way for the government. See, current Fed policy, which devalues the dollar, will allow the government to pay back debt with devalued dollars. So that is very favorable if you're the government and have debt, or if you're a household and have debt, and the current economy has not negatively affected your income. But if you're a saver and an investor... This is nothing but bad news for you because you've got to make more to be able to just have a break-even outcome with your investments. So this environment favors borrowers. This environment favors debtors. It does not favor savers. It does not favor investors. So does the Fed want to keep inflation low? I think that the Fed policy over the last 10 years answers that question. The Fed has been engaging in quantitative easing in a significant amount 
since 2008. So do they want to keep inflation low? Well, the answer is controlled probably, but low, no. So it's going to be more difficult to retire comfortably as time passes. Now, I would argue that inflation is not even controlled. I would argue that the real inflation rate is much higher than the reported inflation rate. And I'm going to talk more about this in the last segment of today's program. I I did read an article, though, in the time I have left in this segment on Reuters this past week. And I'm going to give you just a very quick quote from the article. Consumer prices increased solidly in February. Households were paying more for gasoline, but underlying inflation remained tepid amid weak demand for services. They stated that the the inflation rate will likely not exceed 2%, the Fed's target, until perhaps later this year. Now, whenever you read some article that reports on the inflation rate, typically the inflation measure that's used in most any news article is the Consumer Price Index. The Consumer Price Index is a very manipulated number. There are many adjustments made to make the reported inflation rate look more favorable. Again, this policy, this policy of making adjustments to the inflation rate, favors the government who borrows a lot of money. Now, my point is that the current environment has not only made it more difficult to retire, but all this money printing has created asset bubbles. And that's the topic of my report in March. It's titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust. And I'd like to send you a copy of the report. All you have to do is visit requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail you the report, and I'll be very glad to do that. Also, if you've not yet downloaded the RLA app, go to the App Store and search for your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and you'll get our free app. And with the app, you'll get access to all of our free educational resources. I'll be back with Brian London. Stay with me. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Brian London. Uh, Brian is a very accomplished guy. He is CEO of Jefferson Financial. He is the publisher and editor of Gold Newsletter, and he is the host of the New Orleans Investment Conference. And I'd encourage you to learn more about Brian's work. You can go to goldnewsletter.com to do that. And Brian, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you as always, Dennis. So, Brian, talk a little bit for our listeners that may not be familiar with your work about Gold Newsletter. It's got quite a storied history. Yeah, you know, it was started by my mentor in the business, later business partner in the business, Jim Blanchard, who's just an extraordinary individual 
um, really a, a gold bug, uh, a diehard libertarian, and somebody who, you know, is a real fan of Austrian ex- economics. And the, literally the day that Nixon closed the gold window in 1971, which essentially meant that he, the, the U.S. government would no longer give other governments, other central banks, gold in exchange for their dollars. In, a, in other words, it broke the last official link between the dollar and gold. Uh, as soon as Nixon announced that, Jim actually formed or had the idea to, to launch Gold Newsletter as a uh, his tool to advocate and, uh, um, and, and try and get change and, and lobby for the return of gold ownership, legal gold ownership to American citizens. People today don't realize that it was actually illegal for you to own gold as bullion or as uh, uh, bullion coins as an investment, as it were, uh, until 1974, late 1974, when Jim was finally successful in getting gold legalized again. So he started Gold Newsletter back then and and then started an organization to uh, lobby and advocate for sound money policies, which became the National Committee for Monetary Reform, which then launched its annual investment conference, which is what we still run today, that and Gold Newsletter, some 50 years later. Well, it's a, it's a great history. And, you know, Brian, when you talk about uh, your your mentor, Jim Blanchard, advocating for sound money policies, certainly that does not describe the world in which we live today. Give me your take on Fed policy presently, and uh, where do you think all this ends up? Well, it ends up someplace that's, that is familiar to historians of economics and of, of U.S. history, not U.S. history, world history, world economic history. In other words, what we're going through today is nothing different uh, than what we've seen over thousands of years in that civilizations and governments have always overspent their means. In ancient Rome, it was through military campaigns and bread and circuses and and things like that. Uh, And in the process, they ran up debts that were unmanageable, too large for the economy to grow its way out of, too large for increases in taxes to, uh, to pay off. And the only solution left and the solution that every civilization has always resorted to was to depreciate the underlying currency. And that's what's happening right now in the U.S. uh, with greater frequency. And that's what the central bank, the Fed right now is doing. In fact, as we speak, uh, the chairman Powell just got finished with his uh, his press conference following their latest the latest Fed meeting. And uh, and the statements that the Fed came out with today were extraordinarily bullish again and and not bullish for the dollar, but rather dovish in that they are going to continue this uh, really tremendous pace of quantitative easing for as as long as they can currently contemplate. So, Brian, the question I think that all of our listeners uh, are probably asking themselves is how much longer can this continue? I mean, the Fed last year created literally $3 trillion out of thin air, and a lot of folks may have thought last year was an aberration, but 
I believe the deficit for the first five months of this fiscal year was 68% greater than last year. So it seems like mm-hmm. th- this is like a snowball rolling downhill. It gets, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. Um, how much longer can it continue? Do you, do you, what's your take? Well, that's an unanswerable question. If you look at what's happened really since Jim Blanchard started Gold Newsletter back in the 1950s, uh, not, not 50 years ago in the 1970s, um, what happened then was once the central bank was released from any uh, form of restraint by a tie to gold, then central bankers were then able to print money uh, and loosen monetary policy without restraint. And like giving a uh, giving whiskey and the car keys to a teenager, they immediately drove the economy into the ditch, which was basically the 1970s. Since then, they've become a bit more circumspect and more careful. But if you look at uh, the Fed funds rate, for example, the level of interest rates since uh, the early 1980s, whenever the economy hit a little soft patch, a recession or even faltered a bit, the, the Fed would come in and lower rates. So you have a stair-step pattern over time with, in which every economic slowdown was followed by a further bottom or lower low in interest rates. And when they would try to normalize rates, they would never get it up to even the midpoint of where they were previously. Uh, So it's a stair step and they hit zero uh, post 2008, tried to raise a little bit and they hit zero again in this crisis. So we've had successive cycles of boom and bust fueled by Fed and fueled by ever easier monetary policy. Now, whether that creates the ultimate bust, some type of change in the monetary, the very fabric of the monetary regime, perhaps a major inflationary episode that uh, greatly, greatly devalues the dollar and perhaps leads to some attachment of the dollar's value to commodities and or gold again, or some resetting of the dollar's value. Uh, Whether that happens during this cycle or the next or the one after that, uh, I don't think anyone can tell, but I do think it is a process wherein the dollar will eventually be completely discredited and lose credibility. Um, the thing that's helping it right now is the fact that it is the world's reserve currency, and it is only one of many currencies going through the same process. So that kind of delays the the uh, the process and that all of the currencies around the world are going through it together. That does mean, though, that all of these currencies have to devalue against something else. They can't devalue against each other. And so they will continue to devalue against tangible objects, things, um, and uh, and primarily gold and silver. So, Brian, when, when, when you take a look at you know, monetary policy and the fact that, you know, this will not end well, history teaches us that we always end up going back to some form of gold or silver as money, uh, whether it's you know paper receipts backed by gold or silver, but but some type of of tangible monetary system. Do you think we are going to repeat that, and we're going to have to get back there again this time? I think likely that is the easiest and quickest and and most proven way to restore credibility to a currency. There's no other currency they can attach themselves to. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, developing nations, when they've gone through currency crises, they've 
tied in, in uh, their currencies to the U.S. dollar to try and gain some credibility. Well, we don't have that luxury. We have to tie it to something else. So very likely it would be gold or some basket of commodities or something that would impose some restraint on uh, the central banks or the central bank to, to devalue the dollar further and, and have the dollar then regain some credibility. There are interim steps where the, the dollar could uh, somewhat attach itself to gold without having a very specific gold standard. But, uh, but I think it would involve gold in some way. And even if it doesn't, during the process, I think gold is, is vital for investors and savers. It's a way of preserving their wealth during a period of, of accelerating currency depreciation. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with Mr. Brian London. He is the CEO of Jefferson Financial. He's the publisher and editor of Gold Newsletter, and he's the host of the New Orleans Investment Conference. You can learn more about his work at goldnewsletter.com. Brian, I'd be curious to uh, get your take on cryptocurrencies. I'm always uh, amazed, and I, I ask myself the question when it comes to Bitcoin, what makes something that was worth a penny 12 years ago now at some point in time worth $60,000? Uh, uh, just to me, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, what's your take on the whole cryptocurrency situation? Well, the one thing I do know about Bitcoin is that I should have bought it uh, five or, or six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and frankly, I think that's about uh, that's, that's about all anyone knows about Bitcoin. Now, I think that blockchain and I think Bitcoin are big things, and they're going to be big things in terms of utility and applications. I just don't think anyone at this point absolutely knows what that will be eventually. Um, and and yet, you know, we see it's uh, so many adherents and so many very vocal uh, bulls on on Bitcoin who are approaching it with uh, you know a, a religious fervor. Um, it is right now a speculative bubble. It's it's hard to deny that. The reason why I think the majority of people are buying Bitcoin right now is in the expectation that they'll be able to sell it to somebody else later at a higher price, and and therefore. The money that's going into Bitcoin is is speculative. It's not uh, necessarily the people who are the true believers who think it's going to be uh, the the end all of of currencies and and other utilities, um, and and a store of value. Right now, it is so volatile uh, that it can't operate as a store of value or have utility as as a currency. And the argument is, of course, by the bulls that it's that's natural as it evolves and it matures. But uh, that said, there are a lot of other arguments that 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 uh, indicate that it may not be the ultimate solution, and the actual uses of Bitcoin uh, may not uh, be best suited for a a cryptocurrency that has such uh, limited um, quantities and such high relative value. So. Again, nobody really knows. Um, I think it's going to be something. I think it's going to be something big. But again, I don't think anyone can really tell at this point. It, it should be treated, in my mind, as a very speculative, a high potential, but speculative tech stock. And it, it shows that it performs similarly. 
Well, my guest today is Mr. Brian London. He is the publisher and editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more at goldnewsletter.com. I'll continue my conversation with Brian when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I am Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I am chatting today with Mr. Brian London. Brian is the host of the New Orleans Investment Conference. He is CEO of Jefferson Financial. He's also the publisher and editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more at goldnewsletter.com. Brian, in the last segment, we were chatting a bit about you know your, your take that Bitcoin is, is in a bubble, and I, I certainly wouldn't disagree with that. I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, I would say the same thing about stocks, and I would attribute a lot of it to uh, to Fed policy. What's your take? Yeah, absolutely, Dennis. You're you're absolutely correct. Uh, what's happening now is not just stocks, but bonds and precious metals. Everything is being driven ha- higher by Fed policy, by central bank policy, not only in the U.S. but around the world. Uh, really responding to the pandemic economic crisis and before that, of course, the great financial crisis. We never really exited the, the, the easy money policies from the previous crisis, but it's all being driven by extraordinary, really unprecedented levels of liquidity worldwide. This is uh, the first time we've seen such levels of central bank liquidity, not in one individual economy, but almost on a coordinated basis and, and definitely a comprehensive basis around the world. So there's oceans of liquidity sloshing about from market to market, and it's it's elevating, it's floating higher every every asset class. You know, bonds and stocks and gold are supposed to be somewhat contracyclical, but when you have markets being driven by by ever greater sums of money being printed and ever greater levels of debt being created by governments, then all correlations go to one um, and they they all become um, correlated with each other. And in fact, it it used to be people who were bullish on gold were hoping for betting on a, uh, a significant drop in the equity markets. But, you know, you're not going to see that right now. You're going to see and you haven't seen a situation where stocks and bonds and gold and metals and commodities can all rise together because the underlying currencies are all getting cheaper. So, Brian, when you look specifically at gold, uh, you know, gold, uh, I think, was north of $2,100 an ounce last summer. It's now, let's just say, maybe $400 an ounce lower than that. Um, to what would you attribute that? Is that a, is that a normal... Uh, consolidation of a of a bull market, or is there something more nefarious going on? No, I I I think it really is a consolidation because that run up had got so overheated, um, and we gave that gave up about half of that run in a in a correction. And gold did its job; it tried to shake out the weak hands, and has in fact at this point, I think, shaken out the weak hands. Uh, it, it dropped through the the more conservative support levels technically, then dropped through the more serious support levels, uh, and and really just 
destroyed sentiment in the market and uh, exhausted, in the process, exhausted all the sellers and got those weak hands out. I think we have bottomed. Um, I, the indications, of course, it's an easier call now to make than it was, you know, a week or two ago when I was making it. But uh, the price is beginning to rise again. The sentiment has gotten back in favor of gold. Uh, one of the things that that helped contribute to the correction was the rise in Treasury yields. The 10-year yield went from about 0.4 percent to 1.6 percent, and when it hit that that kind of, or the first line in the sand at about 1.5%, we saw a dramatic sell-off in gold. And uh, and yet now we see the rate of it around 1.6 to 1.65%, and gold is rising again. So we've gone through that shift, a transition phase where investors have now accepted the fact that rates are going a bit higher. And uh, and those who didn't want to own gold have already sold it, so um, to a large extent at least. And I think we have bottom, and I think people are starting to look at gold again. And, of course, the price is beginning to respond. So moving ahead, I would assume you're bullish on gold. Correct me if I'm wrong. Compare gold, uh, your outlook for gold, with your outlook for silver. Yes, I have a very standard outlook for gold versus silver, and that is that the the macro picture, the big picture, is very bullish for gold. Uh, and if you if you like gold in the current environment, and you should, then you should love silver because silver in this kind of environment, or the kind that we're predicting will continue, will uh, always outperform gold. Um, it moves in the same direction as gold. That's Importantly, important to remember that's down as well as up, but it moves in the same direction as gold, but to a greater extent. So I, I think that every investor, every saver out there needs to preserve a portion of their wealth, ensure a portion of their wealth by owning gold uh, and silver. And they need to make sure that a significant portion of those physical metal holdings are represented by silver. So if you look at different ways to own metals, gold and silver, um, what are some of your favorite ways to get exposure to metals, uh, the, the physical metals? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you recommend to people? I recommend that they stick with the standard in gold, the standard uh, easily recognizable bullion coins. There are some tax advantages with uh, owning the American Eagle gold coins. They may or may not come into play depending on someone's personal situation, but they should look into that uh, and discuss it with the personal tax advisors. But the U.S. government does give some preference to the American Eagle gold coins with some tax preferences. But uh, it does; those coins do trade at a bit higher premium than other bullion coins for that reason. Um so, you know, they need to look at just the major mints, uh, the ones that are more recognizable. They could look at older, historic uh, U.S. gold coins, not the, the real collectible numismatic ones that carry high premiums, but the, the ones that are of lower grades, uh, perhaps circulated a bit, uh, but historic old U.S. coins, because those can often have uh, premiums, you know, their price above their melt value. Uh, that are near or lower than uh, common bullion coins, modern bullion coins. In silver, you can do the same thing. Focus on the well-known mints 
focus on particularly, uh, I, I would avoid bars typically because there's some counterfeit risk with bars that aren't as present in, in coins. Um, but I would focus on the bigger coins in the silver realm and also old U.S. silver coins. The numismatists and the bullion dealers call those bag silver or even junk silver because they're, they're old, they're worn. And for a numismatist, they look ugly. But to me, they look like history. You know, they've been in circulation. Somebody used them decades ago. And they are pre-1965, up to 1964, coins that have uh, significant silver content, 90% silver content in the coins. Um, and sometimes they're very difficult to find and the premiums are high. But when there's there's not a big rush on for bullion, that's when to, you should buy because the premiums for those coins can sometimes be uh, very close to melt or even below it. Um, and uh, it's a great way to own silver in smaller forms. You can own them in dimes, quarters, uh, 50 cent pieces. So it's smaller forms of silver that are easily exchanged if you know there was some need to do that. So, Brian, what kind of advice are you giving to your gold newsletter readers this month? Well, I'm telling them that the time to buy, and have been telling them for the last uh, couple of weeks, that the time to buy uh, the metals is now. But uh, where we focus a lot on are the mining stocks that are a bit more speculative than metals. I look at the bullion investments as insurance, and I look at the mining stocks as investments, and even in the junior mining stocks, real speculations. Um, and what I've been telling people, telling our readers for the last couple of weeks is that you're never going to find the absolute bottom in the market, but you can get close. And, and if you look at the grand sweep and cycles of the markets, you know when values are at long-term lows. And uh, this, we may not have seen the absolute bottom. I think we did see it about a week or so ago. Uh, but regardless, this is the time to buy. Uh, and to begin accumulating some of the better stories and some of the better companies in uh, in gold and silver mining stocks. So, Brian, we have just a little bit of time left, and if you'd like to learn more about uh, Brian's work, go to goldnewsletter.com. Uh, talk a bit in the couple minutes we have left about your annual New Orleans Investment Conference. Sure. It's, it is the original retail investment conference. Jim Blanchard started it in 1974 to, at, at that point, teach investors, teach American investors how to buy gold. Um, and it expanded over the years, covers all the asset classes. And, and Jim had a knack and a, a reputation for going out and getting the biggest speakers out there, the biggest named speakers. Uh, and of course, the, the, the actual uh, uh, credibility and of the conference attracted a lot of really big name speakers. He had everyone from um, uh, Margaret Thatcher to Ayn Rand had her last public speaking uh, appearance at our conference. Mm. Um, Alan Greenspan was a regular for many years. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of the real giants of economic, monetary, world history. Uh, of recent decades have graced our stage. And that's kind of what we continue to do or try to do is bring the top experts in every area, geopolitics, economics, uh, every um, asset class out there and get them all together in one place at one time. 
Last year, last fall, we had to resort, resort to a virtual event. This year, we're, we're returning to New Orleans with an in-person event. Um, I think everybody's going to be well uh, by then, uh, vaccinated by then, and everything's going to be very close to normal. Uh, and it's going to be a wonderful, uh, just absolutely a blockbuster event, I predict, because everyone's dying to get back in person, dying to get back together and really feel that, that intellectual energy and ambiance that you get at our event that, that you don't find anywhere else. Well, I'd encourage the listeners to check it out. Uh, my guest today has been Mr. Brian London. And uh, Brian, always a pleasure to chat with you and love to have you back down the road. Dennis, always a pleasure to talk with you. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to Mr. Brian London for joining us on today's program. You know, I asked a question in the first segment. Does the Fed want to keep inflation under control? And I think we concluded that based upon Fed policies over the past 10 years, the Fed really wants inflation. What they want is controlled inflation. And in the first segment, I gave you an example that I'll repeat, I'll repeat briefly for those that are just joining us. If you bought a home back in 1991 for the median home price of $96,000, and you bought the home conventionally, putting 20% down and financing the balance over 30 years, you would have had a house payment of about $412 a month. If you earned the median income in 1991, it would take 122% of your weekly pay to make the house payment. Now, however, 30 years later, if you earned the median income, it would take only 34% of one week's paycheck to make your last house payment. So it's easier to pay off debt when dollars are devalued. It works that way for the government. It works that way for individuals. So these policies favor borrowers, not savers and investors. And yet, if you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, you fit in that latter category of savers and investors. Well, I think we can realistically conclude, moving ahead, that this policy is not going to change. So the reality of this for you is that you need to try to hedge for inflation. Now, if you go buy a 10-year treasury, you earn 1.6 to 1.7% in interest, which at an inflation rate, an official inflation rate of about the same, means you're breaking even, but the real inflation rate is a lot higher than that. John Williams, past guest here on the program, has the website shadowstats.com, and Mr. Williams is an economist who actually calculates the inflation rate using the methodologies the government used to use. Well, based upon the 1980-based methodology, based on calculating the inflation rate, the way it was calculated in 1980, the real, actual inflation rate 
is closer to 10%. You've been, if you've been to the grocery store, that probably rings a little truer than something under 2%. So if you're earning 1.6 or 1.7% and the real inflation rate is 9 or 10%, you are losing. Now, when you hear that the actual inflation rate is 2% or less, or when you read that in a news article, the news article is reporting the Consumer Price Index, which is the headline rate. But this is a very, very manipulated rate. Now, I'll give you an example. There was a Reuters article that I quoted in the first segment, and there was an economist at Oxford Economics in New York who said that we should see core inflation of 2.5% by the spring. Well, keep in mind, that is a consumer price index number, not the real inflation rate. The consumer price index going up to 2.5% would probably mean that the real inflation rate now goes to 10 to 11%. The 2.5% number is a manipulated number. It is, in a word, fertilizer. Now, when consumer price index is actually calculated, there are adjustments for hedonics, substitution, and weighting. Now, a hedonic adjustment is an adjustment for convenience literally meaning an adjustment for pleasure. As items that we buy are improved, if prices go up, some of that price increase is removed from the inflation rate calculation because the argument is our life is more pleasurable. Now, I'll give you an example that will give away my age, and maybe some of you can sympathize with me or at least identify with me. Some of my earliest television memories were of three working channels and no remote control. Now, if you're under 40, you may find this difficult to believe, but if you wanted to change the channel on the television, you actually had to stand up, walk across the room, and turn the knob on the set. It was wildly inconvenient but we didn't know any better. Now, when I was old enough, my dad had me serve as the remote, telling what channel to put on, and fortunately there were only three for him to pick from, so it didn't take too long. Then some television manufacturer developed a remote control, and even though it cost a lot more to buy a television with a remote control, that increase in cost would not have been factored in when calculating the inflation rate because... We're going to have this hedonic adjustment or this pleasure adjustment since now this invention of a remote control had made watching television much more pleasurable. Then there's another adjustment for substitution. This adjustment is made when an item in the basket of goods and services that is used to calculate the inflation rate increases in price dramatically. If the price of an item goes up too much, a bureaucrat arbitrarily determines that no one will buy that item anymore So let's substitute another lower-cost item. And finally, there are adjustments for weightings. These weightings are also arbitrarily determined. For example, as of January 2021, healthcare 
was given a 7% weighting in the consumer price index, even though healthcare consumes 20% of economic output. Now, my point is simply this. You should discount any source that uses the consumer price index as a measure of inflation. It, as I mentioned, is in a word, fertilizer. Now, Jeff Gunlock, who is the CEO of Double Line Capital, sees headline inflation reaching 4% by summer, which means the real inflation rate would be 11 or 12%. Mr. Gunlock believes, as I do, that the Fed is not concerned about inflation. In fact, he believes the Fed will welcome higher inflation because, as I've mentioned, it's easier to pay off existing debt with discounted dollars. So if you're a saver and an investor, this is not exactly good news for you. So what should you do? Well, there are strategies that you can consider using in your own individual financial situation, and I would invite you to start by getting our free report this month. It's titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust. If you go visit the website, requestyourreport.com, I'll be glad to send you a copy. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. And all of our resources are also available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's our website. You can get the podcast there. You can get the weekly headline roundup uh, webinar. Uh, go through all the headlines every week, and you also get our newsletter. So, again, that's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week. <laughs> 